0: I know Boomer didn't write that script.
1: Game time with Boomer Asiason. This week's guest is New York Giants two-time Super Bowl champion, Bill
0: Sims. Presented by Geico. Some people who see us sitting across from one another on CBS's NFL Today, Assume that today's guest and I were separated at birth. I don't know how that ever happens. However, when I arrived in New York from Cincinnati back in 1993 to begin a three-year stint as the Jets quarterback, he was concluding his marvelous career as the Giants' signal caller. It's my pleasure to welcome the MVP of Super Bowl XXI in my buddy Phil Simms. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, marvelous. you you should No, marvelous. You should have put torturous. (laughs) Torturous. Yeah, because, you know, it was injuries, this, that. So that's the way pro football goes. That's the way it does go. And, you know, of all places, you come out of Springfield, Kentucky. That's where I was born. Uh, you had a tough dad who was on you every step of the way, right? I mean, where did the whole idea that possibly you could become a football player come out of? Oh, that's interesting.
1: Oh, that didn't come probably till I was in college mm-hmm. uh, because my dad was a baseball player. He was one of those guys that was actually the, you know, the summer touring baseball team. They're farmers. Right. So they had a team, and he was a pitcher. and. And, you know, I have four other brothers, and man, it was nothing, only one sport mattered to him, baseball. Right. And when I started playing football, he's going, well, you know, he couldn't have cared less. You
0: obviously played football in high school. In high school, sure. And so Moorhead State had to find you somehow. How did they find you?
1: I I don't know how they really actually found me. I think they uh, just, my name got out there a little bit, not much. Uh, I wasn't recruited really by any schools, maybe Wake Forest a little bit. And then when they looked at my grades, they said, hey, nice talking to you. <laughs> so that was it. And um, so Louisville Trinity is the big school down there in high school. Okay. And one of their coaches had left and was down at Moorhead State. And that's how I got on the recruiting list, thank God. And I got the treatment to go down there, picked up in a station wagon with six other recruits, <laughs> and they drove us down to the school. We spent the weekend and drove back. So am was sure it.
0: That the first time you put the uniform on and you step out of practice, where are you on the depth chart your freshman year? Well, I was a red shirt.
1: So yeah. that made it easier. Uh, but if, I, if there was a depth chart, I probably would have been, at worst, third. third. Just, you, you know, th- there was five quarterbacks there, mm-hmm. all on scholarship back then. And they were good, but, you know,
0: I just thought, okay, I see where I can fit in here right away. I think most people don't think of Moorhead State of ha- as <laughs> having a Division One scholarship program. I mean, it's a small program.
1: Yeah, well, it was what what back then was called Division One AA. Okay. So um, I don't know how many scholarships that was. I'm gonna say it was 65. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's pretty big, and it's uh, it, it was good competition. We, many, we just how, how many games did you play? I started every game in my
0: career. All right. So how many was that? Did you play? In the- uh, we
1: I think we only played 11, maybe
0: one year. We always that's played 10. Like you played like 33 games or something. Yeah. Well,
1: 10 each year is. Boomer, your math would be at least 40. You had a preseason game, right? <laughs> no, we couldn't scrimmage anybody. Nothing. Before then, no, nothing. So, no. and then the interesting thing is, how many winning records did you have in college? No. I, I, I thought the most I ever won in a year was two. But I look back, some for some reason, I saw my record and said, hey, I won three one year. <laughs> and, you know, the great thing about it, well, it wasn't great about losing, but we were always the homecoming team on the visiting <laughs> road. So we played in front of fans. That's all. And that was great because. You know,
0: we didn't have big crowds when we played at all. This is crazy. I mean, when people hear your story, like they they probably can't believe that you went to Moorhead State. You had losing records. How in the world does the NFL find somebody like you? The
1: story is there was a guy, uh, a coach at the University of Kentucky. They were there looking at their kids, and there was Derek Ramsey, was a the quarterback there. A lot of great players at the time at Kentucky, and he goes, "Oh man, I gotta make a trip to Moorhead. I don't do. I need to go down there," and the guy goes, "Yeah, I think you better go." They got a quarterback. He goes, really? The, the big scout, area scout right. for the whole NFL. So he comes down, looks at my tape, and he sees me, and they bump me, and he says, could you throw a few footballs? And I said, sure. So I had a guy, and I threw about probably 15 passes. He goes, coach,
0: get the coffee pot on, buy a bunch of donuts. It's going to be an avalanche when I put this report out. When Phil Simms was drafted as the seventh overall pick by the Giants back in 1979, New York newspaper headlines read, <laughs> Phil who I keep saying that to this day he'd go on to play 15 years for the Giants and a few years later Sports Illustrated rated him as the most underrated quarterback of all time so when you hear really? that how do you feel about that I didn't know that you didn't so, know about that no I didn't know that
1: you know but th- that's pretty cool th- to have that moniker I guess
0: oh, I think it's very but cool.
1: Phil who all that stuff people say how did it affect you coming up here
0: And I go, I wasn't offended at all. One of the funny stories you've told me, and and unfortunately Zeke has passed away, just recently passed away, Zeke Bratkowski, came to work you out down in your backyard? Is they, that true?
1: Yes, it's, it's true as can be. I said, look, I'm going to be home because I, I maybe it was a break. Well, I don't obviously, what
0: was. Zeke Brykowski is now coaching at this time. Yeah, you he's at he Green was, Bay. Yeah, he was the backup to Bart Starr all right. those years. And I had think a lot he's of the success. offensive
1: coordinator at the time.
0: Right, so now he's with the Green Bay Packers and he's coming down to work you out in it your came, backyard. He came
1: to my house and you know who my receivers were? My brothers. <laughs> they stayed home from work and they're out there running routes and catching it and it's cold and windy. <laughs> right. And I th- I actually, I, when I was throwing a I said, man, I am throwing it well today. And my brothers are jumping and catching it and all that. It was really awesome. And when it was over, he came in the house. Had We had lunch. My mom was a great baker. She made apple pie and something else. And he sat there for probably about two hours. Just getting to know you and
0: the family. Getting and- to know me.
1: And, and, and I, I definitely was, if I wouldn't have gone to the Giants, I, there was many teams. Not many, but Green Bay definitely would have drafted me. How
0: about uh, meeting and, and talking with Bill Walsh?
1: Well, Bill Walsh came down and worked me out twice. Right. Which was really cool. I knew all about his history with the Bengals. are. already knew all that. He was at Stanford and everything. And he was really cool. You know, he had just this swag about him.
0: I had this West Coast swag about yeah, him. Yeah, and then he, had,
1: he had a white sweatsuit on with the 49 er stripes down the side. And he stood like this. And we watched film together. And he goes, Wow. Oh, okay. And he was, you know, this. He goes, Let's go throw. And I had like six kids to catch for me. I'm out there and I'm just ripping it as hard as I can. He goes, Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> I go, I thought you wanted to see this. He goes, no, I want you to throw it with rhythm and make it beautiful. Oh, he was the, he was the mean, master but, of the West Coast offense. But just to right? say, it, the way he said it, and I want it to be pretty. Go, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? And, and so I started kind of doing it, and he goes, right. no, 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 so, softer. I want perfect, oh, yeah. And he talked the whole time, and the workout, boomer, I don't even know if I broke a sweat. Because it was so effortless, and this, really? so he
0: wanted to see you wanted you to be smooth. Yeah, which he taught, right. and he taught that rhythm and everything. And I threw the ball great. Now, did Ray Perkins, who was the head coach of the Giants, come down and work you out as oh, well? Yes, yes. Oh yes. What was that like? It was brutal. Why
1: uh, was that brutal? Because he wanted everything to be as hard as I could throw it, and I probably no exaggeration, it was probably
0: an hour and a half. Did you have any idea? I was exhausted. Really? Yeah. When, when he left, did you have any idea that he was going to go for you?
1: Uh, I think after I worked out for him, they sent down another area scout who worked me out. Jerry Shea was their head scout at the time. And then Ray Perkins called uh, Wayne Chapman, my head coach, and said, look, we're going to draft him. And oh, yeah. the coach is going, really? <laughs> I, just, I don't know. So the coach, of course, wow. comes and tells me. And, you know, I wasn't excited. I was like. Man, I don't want to go to New York. I want to go to San Francisco or here. Right.
0: So, but that's how I found out. And lo and behold, the legend was born. During the two weeks of practice prior to Super Bowl 21, Phil Sims was throwing strikes, yet reporters kept asking him all about Denver Broncos counterpart <laughs> John Elway. Heck, I was doing the same thing. Sims. <laughs> He was irritated because, as he puts it, I honestly believed I was a better quarterback. Yeah, and you have to believe that. I don't
1: wasn't you? irritated. I had a lot of fun with it. The old writer from the Miami Herald he goes, "What do you think about this experience?" He says, "Man, this is great," and I'm having a good time. And he goes, "Springfield, Kentucky boy playing in the Super yeah, Bowl." Yeah, I was really enjoying the process. I wasn't worried about the game. And he said something about. Well, what would you have done in Moorhead State if John Elway, if he
0: came there or whatever? I said, well, he'd have been number two quarterback behind me. You had one of the greatest quarterback performances ever in Super Bowl history, and I'll never forget that because now I was in the NFL, and I was actually covering that Super Bowl for a local CBS affiliate in Cincinnati. And I interviewed you and everything else. You were very kind to me and all that other stuff. And then I watched you perform, and you started that game six for six. Right. And I know as quarterbacks from the same era, we always used to worry about getting up and being on and making sure that we were going to throw the ball right, it was going to feel right coming out of our hands. When did you feel like you knew this was going to be a perfect game?
1: In my recollection of the game is everybody was wide open. Then I've seen tapes of the game and go, whoa, it wasn't as open as I remember it being. So you know how it is in that league. Everything's close. And that day, I just happened to put them in right spots. But uh, I don't know. I don't ever remember the great thing about, well, I wish I did it more in my life. I sometimes would fret over a mistake, and it would burden me for the rest of the game. And there was other times I'd make a mistake, and guys would go, "Don't worry about it, Phil." I said, "I'm not worried about it. Get ready. I might throw six today, because that was just."
0: Yeah. And so I kind of had that mentality all through the playoffs that year. And I remember you after that game saying, "You know, I know this was a great game, but it was a great game for all of us." Right. I mean, it truly was. I mean, sure. when you think about giant victories in in history, this is really one of the great games in giant history.
1: Well, we broke that. That string of never winning the championship or whatever—I mean, yeah. you know—that was all I kept hearing, you know, from fans constantly. You know, when when are you going to win one? When you, so so we didn't have to hear that anymore, which was, which was good. And of course, the Giants since then have won three other Super Bowls. Yeah, you know,
0: I think about this little run to Super Bowl 21. Your life in general coming out of Moorhead and trying to, you know, impress upon everybody in New York that you could be the co—you know—that you could be the starting quarterback. You have one coach when you first get here. Then Parcells comes here, and you're not sure whether or not he's on your side or he wants his other quarterback. Oh, no, I was Scott sure Brown. about that. He was not on he your side. He was not on my side. Super Bowl 21 MVP. So you start out with Ray Perkins as your head coach, and then lo and behold, they bring in the Jersey Brawler, none other than yeah. Bill Parcells. <laughs> Jersey brawler, that's a good name. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what he is. Yeah. And, you know, he was tasked with really setting a new culture for the New York Giants. No question. What were your first impressions? Um... You know,
1: I can't remember a lot early until we went to training camp because he was going to have to pick a quarterback between me and Scott Bruner at the time. And I could get the vibe that I wasn't the guy. Then I was told by a few people that I didn't take some instructions the way I should or whatever. I was combative, that type or whatever, which I totally is not true. And it, it wasn't. But that was the way he perceived me or whatever, and I could definitely feel the favoritism was going to Scott Bruner, and it didn't bother me because I knew sooner or later it was going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. And so we practiced, and I probably – it was pretty, pr- pretty even during the preseason, whatever. But he started Scott Bruner. I came in and played, I think about week five or six, and I broke my thumb right away. Mm-hmm. Drive him down, score a touchdown. Next time I throw the ball, hit my thumb, broke out for the year. Mm-hmm. Probably saved my career in New York, Boomer. Really? Yeah, because the team went 3-12-1. And without so you know, they had to clean the house. That <laughs> was a part of it. And, and, and I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Maybe that could have been the end for me. But he saved, He they were going to let him go and hire, hire Howard Schnellenberger. And Howard Schnellenberger turned the job down. Wow. And, which is amazing. Yeah, a it, lot of
0: people don't realize but that. But he turned it down. Yeah. And
1: Bill Parcells came to me and he goes, Sims, mm-hmm. you know, now we're together. Mm-hmm. He goes, we're going to do it my way. And then he turned into Bill Parcells. He became took control of everything, coached everybody, and right away we go to camp with a bunch of new rookies, a new team, and you can see everything has changed. We're, we're entirely different. Well, this is where the
0: culture now changes. It, that was and, it. And what he needs is he needs a combative quarterback to kind of get to his – To take him. Is, right, <laughs> to take him and to deal with him, right, because well, it was tough on you. Yes.
1: You know, I, I just tell people – I can't explain and put it in words quick enough how hard it was at times to walk in a locker room at 7:30 in the morning. Okay, I walk in. I'm the first guy there. He's there sitting in the middle at the coffee or at the little table, and he sees me. He stands up, Sims. <laughs> I mean, are you going to practice better today than you did yesterday? How many passes did you complete in practice? I mean, you didn't complete many. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. he goes, I couldn't sleep last night. Tossed and turned the whole damn night. Yeah. And then I'm cleaning it up. Right. And my wife says, Oh, Bill, what's the matter? He goes, Oh, my effing quarterback can't complete a pass. <laughs> so, and, so I am a nervous wreck. I'm breaking out in the cold sores. And I go in the meetings. And, you know, of course, now the coaches know about it. And they're all going, Look out today. Don't be getting away with Phil. And the receiver coach said something. I'll go tell the receivers it might come a little harder today. And I said, shut up, Pat. I don't want to hear it. But that
0: was – but, Boomer, uh, this went oh, yeah. on constantly. Yeah, but see, this is the point. Here he knows he has a quarterback that can handle a lot of this stuff. Maybe you're not showing that you can no, handle no, it I whatever. No, I took it. you took it, right? What was great – When did you... you finally start giving it back?
1: Oh. Well, almost from the beginning. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, you know, I'd come to sidelines. We'd have arguments. Sometimes he would shut me up, and I would get scared because I always knew he was the man. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know how it is. That was a relationship. He allowed certain players to yell back at him. He probably picked on about seven of us, mm-hmm. and he would tear us up for no reason to send a message to the rest of the guys, but you could yell back at him. But sometimes I'd walk to the sidelines, and he would go, shut up. Before, I, you know, like <laughs> I'm the coach, and you play. You got it? I got it. Yeah, I got it. yes, I sir. knew that was when I d- couldn't fight back with him at you all. Know,
0: but, but the interesting thing is he might have beaten you down during the week, but when you got to Sunday, before a game on Sunday, he probably built you up, I would think, it sounds like that's the kind of motivation that he would use in a guy that can handle it. He was Vince Lombardi.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, beat him up during the week, love him up before the game. That's what he was. He really was. He did that all the time. Before the Super Bowl, he kept going, that's it, Sims. Come on, baby. Just throw. Let it go. Let's play. And all that things. And my opening game, our opening game in 1984 – which, you know, I tell quarterbacks this, and they can't believe it. But I'm walking out the locker room door, and he's standing there shaking hands. And he goes, Sims, if you don't throw at least two interceptions, you're not taking enough chances. And I go, well, I can take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth. He yeah. said it, and it kind of like, okay, man. It's got to
0: relax you a little it bit. It does
1: relax you. He was great at relaxing. you. It didn't always work because I played many games where it was the opposite, where I
0: was afraid
1: of making that mistake.
0: So, but, but what was it like when Lawrence Taylor finally showed up and you saw somebody that did something on the field that you'd never seen before? But there were different rules for different players, obviously. Well, sure.
1: Um, the first scrimmage we had with Lawrence Taylor, it lasted, I'm going to say, no exaggeration, I'm going to say he lasted 10 plays <laughs> and they had to take him out of the scrimmage. Really? Because we couldn't run a play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he sacked
1: every, I, I, there were seven passes and he had seven sacks. Right. swear to God. Just I'm just going, Oh my God, this guy is unbelievable. And all right, stop.
0: Get out, Lawrence. We can't evaluate anybody <laughs> if <laughs> and, know, the other thing too is, you know, on that same staff is Bill Belichick. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Wasn't Tom Coughlin on that staff as Tom well? Tom
1: Coughlin later was Charlie Weiss, Al Groh, Man. Romeo Cronell I always do that. I look back at the those Super Bowl pictures and go, Man, we have some coaching staff. I mean,
0: they've so many of them became, you know, head coaches. All right, we're back with Phil Simms, who became the Giants starting quarterback as a rookie in 1979. I was a high school senior. In his 2004 book, Sunday Morning Quarterback, he wrote that he disagrees with those coaches and pundits who insist that you shouldn't play a quarterback as a rookie because it might ruin his confidence. So I, have worked with you for many right, years, right. so I know how this whole thing breaks <laughs> yeah, down. I know you do. You're like, throw him out there, I'll let him go. And let's see what they got.
1: I love that one. <laughs> oh, you worried about his confidence. <laughs> well, man, you know,
0: when you play football, all it is, is adversity, right?
1: Right. I mean, when you overcome, you're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> we did it. It's a, so if it destroys his confidence, I love that. Oh, so-and-so's career was ruined because he started with the team was bad. I go, no, no, no. He, he wasn't the guy. If you're not mentally tough enough to withstand some adversity in football, Mm -hmm. especially as quarterback, you and I talk about this all the time. And the, it's probably about the only thing we agree upon. <laughs> it's just really how to treat the quarterback and
0: what you're supposed to be and what we perceive to be an NFL franchise quarterback. You know, being around you for as many years as I have, I know that you have a real sense of pride being a part of the Giant culture and the family and watching Eli Manning do his thing right. and winning a couple Super Bowls. You were part of Super Bowls. Uh, how about Daniel Jones? I look at Daniel Jones, I see
1: everything you want in a, in a real big time NFL quarterback. Look, even my son, who's in this business, too, goes, man, I was wrong. I didn't think he was going to be this good. But, man, and you even watching the game the other night, yes. not long ago, you text me, my gosh, Daniel Jones can really spin it. And in quarterbacks, that's about the best compliment you can give to the
0: other quarterback. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think there's also this this – lack of understanding of how difficult it is to do what he's trying to do. I mean, and under the biggest spotlight. I mean, it's New York. It's all the tabloids, all the fans, and the Giants have one of the biggest fan bases in all the NFL. Right.
1: Well, all I do is say is this. this. I just judge him. I, you know, I can't judge the the win-loss record and all the other stuff and all the other players right now. I judge him, and when I see him, I just go, Hey, I don't care about whatever you say about the Giants, but I know Daniel Jones played well, and I like what I see. I So do I. So uh, do you like what you see when you look at me? <laughs> well, it's not about what I think, but you think very highly of yourself. As people want to know, let me tell them, as he walks in the studio every Sunday, he goes, Man, do I look good. <laughs> Woo, look
0: at this. I appreciate that. Yes, thank you. All right, uh, thanks to uh, Phil Siss for joining us today and to all of you watching. <laughs> I'm Boomer and I'll see you again right here on Game Time with boxing's Jerry Cooney and Thomas Hauser. Good job. Oh, good stuff.
1: So we come back from a break or it's halftime to start and I look over and Boomer's talking and I go, Did you just drink a five-hour energy? You dang right I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I can get to this day, man.